You seem hungry. Good thing your table is ready with Fatterday Omaha. Fatterday Omaha. Eat this. This is Dave with Fatterday Omaha, and we are here doing another episode on our Food Recognized Food Series, where we talk to people in and around the restaurant industry and food industry all about food. And I am, you know, I before we get going, often on the show I talk about science and we like to do science on food and the uh, difference between you know uh, i think it was adam savage of mythbusters who once said the difference between messing around and science is writing it down so today i am so fortunate to have somebody that is much more of a legit scientist than i could ever hope to be and that is tessa porter of sprink and norma snacks tessa how are you thanks dave i am really good i'm really excited to be here <laughs> so glad to have you here. Can you just give me like a quick overview of both Sprink and Norma's? And then I would love to talk about some science and some of the classes that you do. And then there is a cheesed based burrito security device that we're <laughs> going to have to discuss. But take it away. T tell me a little bit about those two those two places and businesses. And, and yeah. Sure. I'll try to keep this short because it's all kind of one giant ecosystem of awesome. these businesses that I've created. Yeah. So in short, Sprink is a product development company in the confectionery industry. So I write formulas, process designs for new candy products. We take ideas from our clients, whether they're big national brands looking to branch into something new or new startup companies trying to create an entirely new company or brand. And we will take their concepts, write the formula, make the samples. We have a product development lab here in town on 132nd Street awesome. where we play around in the lab, you know, make messes, write things down because we are scientific about yes. it and then help those clients scale that process or that product up into manufacturing. So we're not just writing formulas and creating things, yeah. but we're also helping them bring them to life in manufacturing. I have a background in research and development in the candy industry, and I've always loved, like there's this moment when you have everything written down on paper and you've maybe done it in the lab, but there's this moment when it runs at like a thousand pieces a second Yeah, that is just phenomenal to feel. And I love being able to facilitate that for my clients to help them scale that idea into something that's mass produced. Um, and so I do that um, through Sprink. Mm -hmm. And then I also launched Norma Snacks, which you mentioned, which funny enough is developed to not melt. And well, so I wish nice. I would have brought some for you. <laughs> I'm sorry that I didn't. That's okay. Um, but we did formulate that so that you can like put it in your purse, put it in your car and it doesn't melt. Nice. Um, but Norma Snacks is actually a fruit snack brand that I developed together with my grandmother. It was so never awesome. intended to be a thing, uh -huh. but I started Sprink right before the pandemic. So I left my corporate job in December of 2019. Oh, wow. And wow. had planned to move from Chicago back to Nebraska, start up this new company that was going to be revolutionary in the industry. And then the world shut down on me, yeah. which Partially I was grateful for because I was kind of like taking things slow to ramp up and figure out what my strategy was going to be. And at the same time, everyone else was also just staying at home <laughs> thinking about things. Right. So it, it helped me feel a little bit like everyone was in the same boat. Um, but while I was doing that, my grandmother, who has been an herbalist, um, 
she's studied naturopathic medicine. She um, grows all of these herbs and everything in her backyard mix and then transforms them into syrups, tinctures, salves, remedies. Oh, my gosh. And she's done this for about 40 years. Yeah. Um, I remember growing up and like getting stung by a bee or getting poison ivy or something. And we would always go to grandma's and she would give us some like unmarked amber <laughs> bottle of something or other. And it would work. And it would work. It would work. We yes. didn't know what it was. We didn't really care what it was, but it worked. Um, and so she's always lived this lifestyle, which was always kind of weird at the time. She sure. grew up in small town, Nebraska, in Albion. Um, and so this whole natural living and wellness wasn't mainstream. Right. Um, but anyway, during the pandemic, she was making this delicious elderberry syrup. Uh -huh. And she wanted to get it to my niece and nephews and make it more approachable for kids to consume, boosting immunity, you know, all of the things with the pandemic, you know, everyone's trying to be healthier. Right. Um, and so she asked me, she was like, Tessa, do you think we could transform this syrup into a gummy bear? And uh, grandma, I don't know if you know what I do for a living, but <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. We can do that. So I took her recipe and then transformed that into a fruit snack recipe. And this was just kind of an opportunity to play around with things. You know, I've worked in candy, particularly in gummies and fruit snacks for the past decade. And you're always, you know, developing against some marketing team's expectations and parameters. Sure. Like we want one that looks like the Eiffel Tower. It, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, and be in this like small box of we wanted to have a certain sugar content and have this flavor profile and have this texture and it needs to make all of these claims. This was the first opportunity of like, I can create whatever I want it to be. Yeah and have it be the most genuine, just transparent product. Um, and so I did. And so I, I kind of just played around with it and went back and forth with my grandma. At the time, I had gone to Albion to get out of Chicago, like living in a condo in Chicago during um, the pandemic oh, was just messy yes, and isolating. Yes. And so I went to Albion and I actually rented out the church kitchen because there were no church services going on oh, right at on. the time. Yeah. So they had this kitchen sitting open and I used that as my product development lab, oh my goodness. You know, developing for other companies and, and doing different projects. And I had um, a project going on with a brand strategist from Chicago. Okay. And she was like, what are you tinkering with? I love that you're a candy scientist. I think that's the coolest job ever. Um, and I, so I told her the story of, of my grandma and this thing I was making. And she actually convinced me to turn it into a brand. She said, you know, like nice. people pay a lot of money for these stories. And here it is just falling in your lap of like authentically your grandmother across the street from the church is like making right. the syrup. You're transforming it. So it just kind of organically developed into this thing right. that we're and, now doing. <laughs> and, and unlike Betty Crocker, Norma actually exists. Yes. And... <laughs> yeah. She is a very real woman. <laughs> yes. yes. Oh my gosh. And so that became Norma's snacks. And it just happened to be um, about this time of year, three years ago. And it, so it was rhubarb season. Oh yeah. And I love strawberry rhubarb pie. Yeah. So I went and I pulled out rhubarb from my mom's garden just to see like at this point, we're just playing around, right? Like what can we create? Right. And I boiled it down and made a strawberry rhubarb fruit snack. Yeah. Again, just what I would want to consume. And that's where we got the strawberry rhubarb one that we have now. How did you start moving towards the field of science and research you know did it start with food or did it 
start with the science and lead to food? Or how did you get moving in that direction? That's a great question. I don't think I've ever thought of that, which came first, the science or the food. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say the food. I've, nice. I've always been interested in creating, which kind of leads more to the science side. But I've also always been interested in food. Yeah. So my other grandmother on my mom's side um, used to run a cafe. Okay. Long before I came around, but she was always really big into cooking. So she taught me how to cook. Nice. My grandmother, Norma, um, taught me more of like the natural wellness side of thing things but my my mom's mom taught me how to cook and to bake and allowed me to just make messes thanks she was very encouraging of just try it see what happens um and she wouldn't get mad if we made something that flopped and you know yeah. wait you know quote wasted ingredients or whatever she just allowed us to you know do whatever and also taught us the right way to do things and how sure. to follow a recipe and all of that stuff so i think it started with just a love of food mm-hmm because when I started to think about what I want to do after high school, um, I worked at a cafe through high school, did their desserts. I also worked concrete construction, so they were a little bit polarizing. Yeah, I heard, I heard <laughs> you, you, you were a bricklayer at one point. Yeah, yes. yeah my dad is a mason and, awesome. and lays concrete, and I may have been forced into <laughs> working on his crew. But um, I was looking into going to culinary school. Okay. Because I figured I like to create, I like food, why I suppose that leads me to being a chef. Yeah. But I was always a little hesitant around like the chef life and the kitchen life. And I was like, I don't really want to like cook in a kitchen all mm-hmm. the time. I just want to freely create things. And, and you know, someone has to be making these products that are on the shelf. Yeah. Right? I didn't know what it was. So I was looking at culinary schools and it was at the University of Nebraska, Lincoln, where I was looking at their culinology department and their culinary program. And I asked them if I could take chemistry as an elective mm-hmm. because I didn't see it on the um, syllabus. Yeah. And I, I am just genuinely interested in chemistry and physics and math and have always been a nerd, whether I wanted to admit that or not. <laughs> um, and so luckily when I brought that up of like, no normal person probably asked to take physics and chemistry as electives. Sure. We should probably redirect you <laughs> to some <laughs> other area. Somebody noticed a spark in you and they're yeah. like, yes. So they told me about food science, which I'd never heard of. It was like, well, yeah, that's that's what I want to do. Yeah. So they pointed me over there and then it kind of just one thing led to another thing. Um, but food science was definitely where I needed to be. I'm kind of curious about the curriculum at a high level. What do you take as, you know, in food science? Well, just what you spoke to of like making that applicable, like how like physics you can see, you know, like what what's happening and what the result is. And yeah. if that result is candy, like <laughs> what? That's the coolest area to go into. Um, but the curriculum for food science, it is a blend of some culinary mm-hmm. um, and then like your traditional chemistry, math, physics, biology, a lot of microbiology, you have food Mm. safety. Um, That all leads into a lot of engineering that you learn about how processing affects food, how to, you know, scale things up. Um, And then a lot of focus classes. So there's chemistry and then there's food chemistry. There's microbiology and then there's food microbiology. So it really just narrows in on, okay, you've learned this. How do you apply it to food specifically? You learn about, you know, nutrition and the composition of 
you know, how proteins and fats and carbohydrates, how they all interact on a molecular level. Um, and like for candy, for example, there's a lot of kinetics and engineering that goes along with like how crystallization occurs, mm. which affects different textures. So you can get really nerdy of all of those things that you would learn in chemistry and physics, but applying it primarily around food. So speaking of creating things, so do you remember the first time that that resulted in, in something truly amazing or impressive when maybe all of a sudden you're, I don't know, your first gummy bear, like a four foot pop rock or something <laughs> like that. I don't know. Um, but yeah, do you have any memories of, of like something super that happened in that, that pursuit? Yeah. I don't know if there's anything that's like the first gummy or the first candy. <laughs> I do remember very vividly the first commercial product that I ever developed. Yeah was a fruitcake for Beatrice Baker Company. Oh, cool. They were actually a client through the Food Processing Center when I was a student scientist there. And I worked a summer creating some seasonal products for them. So there was like a chocolate cherry fruitcake. So you have like your traditional grandmother's fruitcake, which they do very well. Yeah. And then expanding that, we did some lighter flavors because fruitcake is not really something people consume a little heavy year Can round. Be. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we did some different like summery flavors of fruitcake that were a little bit lighter in texture, had some more fresh fruity notes. Um, and that was the first time that I ever went through that full process of idea to testing it out in the lab. I remember I did like 152 different iterations of this chocolate cherry cake, trying to get the right texture and oh the right gosh. balance of flavors. And thank goodness they trusted me to do this. I don't know why they trusted me to do this. <laughs> I didn't know, you know, a fraction of what I know now, Yeah. but it allowed me just to play around with things and really learn a lot through trial and error. But that was the, the first item I ever developed was a fruit cake and, uh, I don't know how many people can say that. <laughs> <laughs> how does one evaluate those 150 things and do taste each one? And how do you stop from just keeling over from 150 <laughs> cakes? Like what's, how do you test the results? I'd say one bite at a time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you also don't have all 150 of them at, at a time. True. Right? So true. you have like the scientific process where you're trying out a few things and then what you discover from maybe the first five that you test out will redirect you to make five more. Mm -hmm. And then some of them may have flop, maybe flops and you don't taste them at all. Like, oh, you sure. know, just visually like this didn't work. So you're not really tasting 152 different iterations. You're maybe not even actually making all 152 of them. You may, you know, plan them all out and then through experimental design, test some things out and it directs you away from trying some other um, or maybe you formulate them and you come across like, uh, that probably won't work. Um, but I remember having a binder with 152 different <laughs> formulas put in this binder. Do you create some type of, of rubric or, or evaluation method prior to producing this. You had mentioned that, you know, when an industrial producer may come and talk to you, I'm assuming you have to start with the client's ask. And then how do you generate something that helps you evaluate the results? I don't know that I've ever thought of like, oh, I have this rubric that I run through. Some things, yes. Yeah. But um, a lot of it just comes from experience, too, of having developed a lot of candy products. Um, I 
I'm able to point out like if they come with an idea if I want it to be this, for example, the Eiffel Tower, the Eiffel Tower gummy. Yeah. Saying I want it to be an Eiffel Tower gummy and I I want it to be three inches tall. And I would just point out like there may be issues because of just knowing what the manufacturing lines look like mm. that the molds aren't commonly three inches deep. And oh, so we may need to scale it down or we may need to tip it over on its side and it, it won't be, you know, three inches tall standing up. And so just from experience of being around equipment and trying different things and having, you know, exposure to different, you'll eventually come across those issues if you don't yeah. have the experience and you'll figure it out. But I think from my experience, just having gone through a lot of different manufacturing lines, being able to point those things out from the beginning gives me an advantage from someone else who maybe doesn't. Absolutely. And what you, you, I, I know there's a billion aspects I don't know, but that was something I, I didn't think about was like mold uh, machine standardization or, you know, especially a larger company that probably has some type of candy making or, or food production equipment already in place. They probably don't necessarily want to buy another couple million dollars of equipment. So yeah. how can you make the new design fit into their existing structure? Exactly. And that's really the heart of why Sprink exists. Um, it all stemmed back from I was leading a big corporate R&D team in the candy industry. And we would see this happen a lot where it is always a, tr a struggle to get into manufacturing because their parameters that they're running against are very different from what innovation is focused on. Mm -hmm. You know, manufacturing is trying to get pounds out the door as efficiently as possible in as little as time as possible to maximize profits. Yeah. R&D over here is trying to create these new ideas and test out new things. And the two don't necessarily always mesh. Sure. <laughs> so R&D trying to test something new in a manufacturing facility you kind of have to innovate within a box mm. of what is already running, the parameters that already exist, because you don't want to slow things down. Um, they're not probably going to let you move anything around. <laughs> right. And so you can innovate within limits. And I started to see that there's a lot of really cool ideas that exist that never make it to market because there's no way to test it and validate it. Yeah at such a large scale. You're jumping from making in the lab, and we can do a lot of cool things in the lab, but scaling it to, you say, you know, 10,000 pounds of production run, that's a big jump, and yeah. it might not work. Yeah. And so it's a big risk, and heaven forbid you need to change a parameter on a pump or the steam or, um, you know, where something is added in. Really, really challenging. So there's a lot of cool ideas that never make it because we just don't have the ability to test it. And I realized if that's happening at such a large level that there's a lot of good ideas for smaller companies or startup ideas mm. or people who aren't already have, you know, that don't have multiple large manufacturing facilities. There's no way for them to ever get there, you know, to right. convince another manufacturer that you should change something will take a lot of time and a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. And it's a big risk. And so what I wanted to do with Sprink is lower those hurdles down for innovation of not only be able to make it on a smaller scale, mm -hmm. um, but also be able to be flexible in process design. So while we do product development right now in um, like the lab and create formulas and help people do process design, 
we still don't have a facility where we can go in and just play with things. So the main goal of Spring is to have this facility that is flexible and do contract manufacturing. Um, we're working on our facility right now, a small one. This mm-hmm. is like our, our, our crawl before we walk, before we run. Yeah. We have a small facility that we're actually setting up in Albion that we'll be able to produce Norma's in. Oh, cool. And also produce some of my other clients' first production runs. So instead of coming out of the gate and, and launching a product with a 10,000, 20,000 pound minimum order quantity that you might find with a larger co-manufacturer, mm-hmm. we're running a couple hundred pounds. You know, wow. so you can validate it on the market. You can really dial in your parameters. Say, say you run your first production run, and you maybe want to tweak texture or flavor. Yeah, we can do that. And then you're you're not sitting on thousands of packages that you need to sell through before you can make that change. It's attractive to smaller companies to be able to test things out before they scale up. It's also really been, it has been attractive to larger companies that maybe want to just do market validation before they invest in their own equipment or, um, you know, work with another large manufacturer. Maybe the, the amount the minimum order quantity isn't a hurdle for them, yeah. but they just really want to validate it before they put that investment in. So cool. it works kind of in both ways. You you had mentioned some ideas maybe don't make it to the production floor or anything like that. Have there ever been any ideas that maybe you were really passionate about or you saw and it was just like, we can't do this or like something that you thought of and you're like, darn it, like we can't make it happen. There definitely are. Unfortunately, I can't speak to a lot of the that's things fair, that, that's fair. Yep. <laughs> that client I've privilege on, there. Yeah, that yes. I've worked on in development. That's but um, I know that there's, you know, marketing folks out there that I've worked with where they've had great ideas and we've had to be the bearers of bad news <laughs> that, you know, we maybe can't do it just because the limitations within manufacturing. Um, but it, it's happened a lot. There's some, you know, a lot of cool things that we've worked on in the the lab where, yeah, yeah if we could just get more people in more labs, <laughs> we could make it bigger, but that's not feasible. What are some kind of like cool things that you use to evaluate the candy or, or see if it's, you know, maybe if the cake is, I don't know, moist enough or whatever, or is that more by palette, a blend? How is that done? (laughs) It is, it is a blend. There's a lot of, you know, what we call organoleptic, which is just, you know, the mouthfeel, how it tastes, how it smells, everything, all of those senses, you know, as you eat a product. Yeah. Um, But there's also analytical um, evaluations as well. Like for candy, for example, like we, we use thermometers, we use pH meters, we use, um, we test moisture, um, and water activity, which is more of a quality and food safety measurement Mm. to make sure that it's stable and we're not creating gummies that will mold Mm, (laughs) over time. Um, but I think what's my favorite is that we have a texture analyzer in our lab, which doesn't look that exciting. Uh-huh. Um, it really just is like compresses candy, but we can squish gummies in a very precise way and get a fun. lot of really cool data from that of like how firm it is, how chewy it is, how much it can stick to your teeth. And they make all these really cool um, like adaptations to this texture analyzer so you can put like a knife on it to see how products will cut or something they use it for like film puncture like if you were to Mm. 
how strong is the top of your yogurt cup? You know, like how strong that film is. Um, There's just so many different things that you can do, but we love just to squish a lot of gummies and and see how they hold up. (laughs) I was just wondering, you know, did you ever just squish anything for fun? Like, ah, we're out of gummies today. We're just going to, you know, squish something in here just (laughs) because. Well, it's just, we, it's interesting uh, just to see like how things might stick or the difference, you know, even between brands. We, Mm. We did a little study um, of like Albanese gummies versus Haribo gummies versus Black Forest gummies. And I have my personal favorites. And then I also have ones that I've developed and they're actually not always the same. Nice. But um, we did kind of this whole drawn out study of what we think their composition is based off of their label and some analysis that we can do. Obviously, we don't know exactly what each um, formula is. Right. Um, but then we also did texture analysis on all of them. So we've squished thousands of gummies. <laughs> <laughs> so you have mentioned the comparison between brands or something like that. Do you have uh, clients or folks that you know want you to kind of reverse engineer something? They bring you a product and say, I want something kind of like this, but different or how does how does that happen yeah we'll get a lot of clients that come in and say i like this parameter about this product and Mm. i like this parameter about this product or i want to create this entirely new product but i want it to be similar in this way to this other existing product and so we do dissect a lot of things just to see you know what people are referring to and if we can get any knowledge off of that existing product just from analyzing it different ways. And speaking of analysis there, you have the the scientific measurement and hopefully you're able to produce a product that is like you want per specifications. I'm assuming then you have folks that taste test or, or see if their feelings echo maybe what the equipment said is the texture mm-hmm. good there's an old candy uh was it juicefuls i think it was right it's like a liquid center like mm. do i enjoy eating a gummy with a liquid inside how, how does the human element come into evaluation yeah that's there's a lot to that uh, in our scenario like we send it back to the client and they evaluate that you know it's their decision if it matches what they're expecting or not now they may or may not be doing um like focus groups or Mm. um different analysis um you know there's marketing groups where you can do like the two-way mirror or or whatnot you know those types of focus groups where people are eating products and giving you their feedback of what they prefer or don't prefer um we did when i was working on norma's early on we did a focus group just with a variety of different people um at this time it was still through zoom oh right on sure um of just getting feedback of what they would want it to be you know what do you like about current products what do you not like about current products what do you wish could exist that doesn't you know we talk about we develop norma's as a more sophisticated flavor profile what does that mean Mm. What do you expect that to be? What would you like it to be? So we, you know, we kind of did that very rough and dirty market research. Yeah. Um, we at, we at Sprink don't have the capacity to take that on because that can be really big. Sure. Um, but we do have, um, there are marketing groups out there that do that, that we can connect folks to. You know, we talked about gummies and, you know, hard candy, I'm assuming is is different, is different than certainly chocolate is its own thing. How do you keep all of those things straight in your head or maybe put them down on paper? Because it sounds so complex when moving from different 
foodstuffs, you know, whether you're developing a gummy versus I'm going to do a breath mint, mm -hmm. your, your setup and evaluation or, or tools may even be different. So maybe what's your process from thinking about those different things? Yeah, I like to look at it if we have all of these types of candy and historically, or I should say traditionally, they're in kind of categories mm. like you have what would be referred to as high boils, like hard candies or glass type candies where you're literally boiling sugar to high temperatures. Yeah. High boils. Um, there's things like gummies and jellies and those stem from, have you ever had Turkish delight? No, I have not. Well, wait a minute. Isn't it kind of like a, almost a filament like, isn't it really? It's like a cube, but yeah. it's like a jelly. So there's all, okay. you you know, you have gummies and jellies, and then there's this whole slew of things under gummies and jellies around, like, different hydrocolloids that you can use, like gelatin and pectin or starch. And then there's all these different kinds of starch. So you have all of these different categories, you know, marshmallows, taffies, um, caramels, toffees, fudge, nougats, all of these, what I would say, like, are buckets. But yeah. there's also, I like to look at those buckets as, like, you can intermix a little bit like sure. you can cross over and that's where you can create a lot of new things right if you take what traditionally has been hard candy how can you apply that to a gummy or what we've done in fudge how can we apply that to a caramel or like there's just a, a lot of the different things and yeah. then you have you know on the processing side all of these different tools in the toolbox of all right well here's how you make a caramel mm -hmm. traditionally and here's how you make a fudge traditionally and you get to know the basics mm -hmm. and there's kind of fundamentals across all candy that stems from like let's just go back to sugar and yeah. like the solubility of sugar that built you can build off of that a lot of different ways like you can start with sugar and corn syrup and water and you can create a lollipop you can create you can add some gelatin to that and make a gummy. You could aerate that gelatin sugar solution and make a marshmallow, or maybe you pull it and you make a taffy, or you can you know, adjust the ratios of your, your sugar and your corn syrup. So you drive crystallization and you add some cocoa powder and you make a fudge. And so you can just kind of like snowball into all these different That's ideas cool. by understanding the basics yeah. of like sugar chemistry. And then what I love about this is that once you understand those basics, like you can extrapolate and go a lot of different directions. Do you also get to play with different types of sugar? Because you have what beet sugar and cane sugar, and I'm assuming there's other things out there or maybe sugar alternatives. There's or, so many things now. Yeah, yeah. So how does that happen? Or I, I guess maybe what are some other interesting ingredients that, that you like to work with? Yeah, I'm grateful that when I started as a candy scientist and was learning and training that it was all sugar-based sure. <laughs> for the most part. There was some, you know, sugar alternatives for diabetics, but the basic chemistry and everything that I learned was based on sugar and corn syrup. And that allowed me to really learn the fundamentals well. I think coming into it now when everyone's asking for low sugar candy, no sugar candy, all of these alternatives, like there's so much change that has happened in candy just over the last decade mm -hmm. that the science of it is very messy. Yeah. And so I think that coming in now as like a new candy scientist would be much more complicated than when I started out. So hopefully that's not a deterrent to anyone but there's a lot of really interesting ingredients so like you talked about cane sugar versus beet sugar um, 
like conceptually they're the same. I say uh-huh. that with quotes um, because there are differences in just like how they're processed and then kind of how like there may be a different ash content that goes in with the sugar. So there are like very, very nuanced differences between mm. them. But then you get into sugar alternatives and sweeteners and creating low sugar products and no sugar products. And then like the the doors are blown off of possibilities right now. Um, ingredient companies are just really racing to create different um, products that can be used like Allulose is one that is big mm. on the market right now, okay. as which is actually a sugar that's naturally found in like raisins. Oh, interesting. But they have extracted that and figured out how to commercially essentially synthesize it huh. um, to make it in mass quantities. And so that is a sugar substitute in a way that acts really similar to sugar in some ways on, like, on a more um, chemical basis. But does not provide the calories that sugar does. Gotcha. And it also is not listed as sugar content then on the label. So there's a lot of different like tricks and ingredients that can be used from fiber syrups, sugar alcohols um, that allow you to have a lower sugar product. Speaking of different types of sweeteners, so you see, you know, like stevia and like monk fruit and other things like that. Is there a device that measures sweetness in things like that? Or is that purely a taste thing from people? Oh, I don't know. I don't know if there's, if there is, I don't have it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, There'll be some Googling right after. Yeah, there will be of like the, the way that sweetness is measured. Yeah. I'm not certain to be, to be honest with you. Um, But we get requests for this a lot of, well, can you just use stevia or can you just use monk fruit instead of sugar? Yeah. And the answer in candy is unfortunately no, um, because candy is built off structurally sugar. Like it's not just the sweetness, whereas in a beverage, you're adding sugar for sweetness. In candy, sugar is providing sweetness, but it is like the physical mass of your candy is provided from sugar, sugar, where in a beverage it's water and you're adding sugar to it. So we can't just take out the sugar and use a high intensity sweetener like um, monk fruit or stevia, whether natural or not. Yeah, We can't just replace sugar with that because we have to replace it with some mass. So there has that's where things like fiber syrups come in, oh, interesting. Um, where they're actually building up that bulk section of what sugar provided and then but the fiber isn't necessarily sweet per se so then we're adding stevia or monk fruit on top of that to add that sweetness that we lost from sugar so it's we're taking out sugar but we have to replace it then with two things right we can't just put stevia in or monk fruit in to replace the sugar speaking of the fundamentals so you 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 know you said you got your start when kind of sugar was the primary focus and and things are are branching out but from what i understand you also help other little scientists possibly (laughs) get their start and and do some classes and education and um you know what a cool way to get into science technology engineering art math from candy hello how does the educational component worker what what's all involved there i personally am just very interested in sparking the curiosity in kids Mm -hmm. about creating things and science 
And I think that science and chemistry, unless you're a total nerd like I was, can be kind of overwhelming because you can't see what's happening mm-hmm. a lot of the time. And so then kids might be bored with it. Yeah. But what I love to talk about is that like science is everything. Like I have a friend that is a scientist and creates ice cream oh, and cool. I create candy and that is all very much science. Um, and so I just like to use candy as a tool because what better tool to connect with kids yeah. <laughs> than candy to talk about you know, being curious and scientific method and how to test things and evaluate your curiosity and have that guide you to creating different things. Um, and of course, you know, I've, I've gone and done classes with second graders, third graders, fourth graders, and just bringing candy sure. alone gets them excited. Yeah. And so they're all on board. Um, but I usually like to ask at the beginning, like who here wants to be a candy scientist? And overwhelmingly, it's like no one knows that that's a thing. And I didn't know it was a thing until I was in college. And so if I can tell a second grader, like, you can be a candy scientist, that's a real job, um, which sounds funny, (laughs) but (laughs) it is a real job. Um, Or, you know, maybe you, you use candy to get them excited about science, but then they become a rocket scientist or a surgeon or they're creating different things that help humanity in different ways like if that stemmed from me telling them about being a candy scientist like cool yeah i'm cool with that if somebody wanted to have a class do you represent sprink there and you come out and set that up or like how how does a class happen if somebody wants a class for candy (laughs) sure so this kind of all started organically as well other than i knew i wanted to teach kids about candy science Mm. um it actually was my niece was in class and they read a book about a jelly bean development project oh cool or a jelly bean engineer i don't know there's some kids book about a jelly bean engineer and they were reading it in class and she raised her hand she's like my aunt does this and uh so her teacher asked me if I would come in and just talk to their class about what I do and how I got into it. And um, I ended up bringing we um, a demonstration where they were all able to make their own gummies. Oh, cool. And we did that and it was a blast, like totally filled my cup. Yeah. I would love to do this like every day and just go around and, and teach kids about candy scientists. Unfortunately, with creating two different businesses right now. I don't have the capacity to do that. <laughs> right. So I'm working on a few different things right now of potentially doing some digital courses, um, but I still try to do one to two to three um, in-person courses um, a year yeah. with with different schools. I always go back to the same school now that we started doing that with the Jelly Bean book. Um, but if people are interested, they can go to sprink.com, which is with two K's, S-P-R-I-N-K-K.com, um, and just contact me. There's a, you know, if I have the availability, I love to do it. Um, if I don't, I'll just let you know. I don't have the availability, but maybe down the road I will. Um, and I just like to hear people's interest in it as well. And, you know, if there is interest, you know, would it be a digital course? You know, kind of how we develop this. It's been organic from the beginning, so we'll continue to make it organic of, you know, delivering upon what people are interested in. First of all, that's got to be like the best day in class. It's like today we're going to make candy. You know, what does that look like when you get them started? Do you, you know, say, hey, we're going to design something and write this down? Do you give them ingredients? What's kind of your approach to getting them 
in the mix there. In the there. mindset. Yes, yes, in yes, In the yes. science mindset. Correct. Well, first I give them all a mini lab coat. And so that instantly transforms them into a scientist. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> that's then, so cool. And then what I do is we talk about all of the products that they see at the store and that behind every product there is a person usually a group of people that created that so for every candy product that they love there is someone like me that created that in a lab as their job you know and just exposing them that this is a real job yeah um, and then we talk about that development process we start with the you know ideation process of how everyone has ideas and how do you transform that into a product and I kick it off with, you know, you eat with your eyes. Mm. So how do we start with that? And what I do is I've, um, I don't want to give away my secrets, but sure, sure. I make them special gummies mm -hmm. that are the wrong flavor, wrong color. Oh, cool. And so we talk about, and we don't tell them, I don't tell them it beforehand, but I just talk about how we eat with our eyes. You know, when you eat this like juicy cherry gummy, it's red, right? Yeah. And so I give them these trick gummies where, it's maybe blue and you know they have to taste it and write down what flavor it is and then they all tell me what flavor it was of how it was blue raspberry or blueberry or mixed berry and i'm like it's lemon <laughs> and they all go wild what? <laughs> and so we do that a couple of times and then we talk about you know creating something and how you have to think about how you want it to look, how you want it to taste, how you want the texture to be. And so then we start kicking around ideas of like, if you were to create a gummy, what flavor would you want it to be? And what color would you want it to be? Do you want to trick people with it? Or do you want it to be very genuine and transparent? And then, you know, they usually don't, I don't, I don't usually get all day with them. Sure. And so it's a really pretty quick um, exercise and I'll bring in some pre-made gummy that's unflavored, uncolored, oh, and then they get to pick, you know, I'll give them a form essentially of you can pick your colors, you can pick your flavors, you can mix flavors together, you can add glitter, you can make them sour, you can make them sweet, you can, you know, mix colors. Um, and so depending on what age they are, we'll add more complexity into it of we'll bring in, you know, like color mixing. How do you mm. make purple? How do you make green? Um, and so I'll only bring out primary colors and, you know, they say they want a purple, then they have to figure out how to create purple from that. And so we try to like mix in other things of what they're maybe working on. Mm -hmm. um, I did a course with uh, fifth graders recently and, and, and we talked about like what are dispersions versus solutions and so we made solutions with colors and then we made dispersions by dispersing glitter throughout the gummies and so we end up with these really cool products that then they get to take home and share with their family um, but we're also trying to integrate you know scientific lessons throughout that as well the the lab the way that you're you're putting this together I'm guessing the kids totally love this because I'm loving it and I've never even <laughs> been in this class. This is amazing. So I'm guessing a lot of a lot of smiles and then they get to eat the results and that's probably even even better. <laughs> I get a lot of this is the best day ever or we're having so much fun. Like a lot of um, kids get I mean, they get really excited about it. The first few times I went into this one school in Albion where my my niece is. Um, you know, they didn't know it was coming. And so it was oh, cool. like this surprise and like the coolest surprise ever. But then it spread throughout town. So now they know when I come, like what what we're going to do. And the older kids have started to talk to the younger kids, um, you know, about the trick gummies. So they're catching on. 
Um, so I might have to shake it up a little bit yeah. and try something new. But making candy and making gummy specifically, like it really can be adapted to whatever they're talking about. And I like to talk with the teacher of like, what are you, what are you doing in math right now, or what are you doing mm. in your other subjects that we can bring into this to make it relevant, like you know, like I said, with the colors or, um, you know, more advanced. I haven't done a lot of high school classes, but bringing it into talking about hydrocolloids and talking about pH and talking about, um, yeah, the physics of the mold itself and how are we designing that you can start to bring in things like 3D printing, Oh yeah. you know, for designing the, the actual mold and making it functional in manufacturing. Like there's just really it's endless and it all can tie back into candy, which I believe, and maybe it's not the same for everybody, but if I can tie it to candy, I'm going to remember it. Oh yeah. Because I like candy. For sure. So my hope is that they all become candy scientists. I right? love it. And the other thing I see that's, you know, super popular right now too, is like freeze dried candy is, mm. is kind of a mm -hmm. thing. Are, have you dabbled in the area of freeze dried candy? So I'm familiar with it. Um, I don't have a freeze dryer myself right on. in the lab. I know the university has a freeze dryer sure, and we, sure. I remember doing some labs with that. And so I'm familiar with the sublimation process, which is what happens where you go from um, a solid to a gas without passing through the liquid phase, which is what causes that expansion in the puffiness. And so with candy, since there's not that much moisture in it, like yeah. you get some really funky things that happen. And then you have like just the sugar glass, like there's just so many cool things that happen with that. Yeah. Um, I haven't done much of it. I know there's a lot of like um, small businesses around town that sure. do some freeze dried candy, you know, taking Skittles and um, freeze drying those. And it, it's almost like cereal texture. It's really it, cool. It's totally different. And and so speaking of textures and things, I had alluded to a childhood creation of yours at the beginning of this. And so I have to ask because I heard that at one point you created a uh, securing device for a burrito uh, made of Velveeta, possibly a Velveeta burrito tape. Um, please harken back to your, your early science days and tell me about uh. cheese tape. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, this was long ago. I was probably six or seven. And looking back on it now, it's a really fun story to tell because I now am a food scientist. Yeah. And at the time, I didn't know that food science was a thing. I didn't know that it was a career. I, I was, you know, if you would have asked me when I was seven what I wanted to be, I would have said an artist or a pharmacist. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, but I also just wanted to be a food inventor, like as a hobby. Yeah. You know, so I just got curious at one point of, you know, back then, the tortillas that we were using, or at least the tortillas in our house, were not super pliable. Right, so, those kind of firm grocery store flour ones. Yeah. Yes, yes, and yes, so totally. so when you would, like, make a burrito or make a taco, chances are, like, it wouldn't, you know, close up nicely. I think that tortillas have come a long way in yes, grocery stores. Yes, tortilla innovation. Has, yes. Uh, <laughs> but at the time... I struggled to keep it all together yeah. as I was eating it. And I'm like, if I could just tape this dang thing shut, <laughs> it would be better. Like, but you don't want to eat scotch tape, right? Not so and good. And so I thought, well, why don't I make a cheese tape? Yes. Like cheese is sticky, right? It's really not actually that sticky. But in my mind, I was like, cheese is sticky. It's stretchy. Like I should create tape out of cheese. And so I, <laughs> I would get up in the morning before this was usually in the summer but 
my mom really likes to keep a clean house, sure. a clean kitchen. And <laughs> she wasn't about having a seven-year-old like food scientist in the kitchen making messes. <laughs> and so I would get up early and I would try out all these different things. And I had this binder that I would write my notes in and I would like just daydream about what can I do that would make this stickier? What can I do that would make this hold together better? And I had no clue what I was doing. Like I had no science background. I, I was seven. Sure. And so I'm just trying different things. Um, but looking back now, like I, I wanted to be a food inventor and I just did that for fun back yeah. then because I was really interested in it and really curious. And now that's what I do for a living. That's awesome. And I would say I talked about that story in a presentation I gave um, a few months ago and someone sent me a link I might get the school wrong, so maybe I just won't say it, but there's a, a food science department, I believe, that a group of grad students or recent graduates launched a, a brand called Tasty Tape. What? And it is an edible tape <gasps> where you kind of like wet it yeah. and then you peel it off the film and you wet it and then you can secure your burrito. And they used a burrito as an example. That's and awesome. so someone sent this to me and I tried to reach out to him. I'm like, I'm not trying to take your idea. I just really want to help you in any way possible because let me tell you about seven-year-old Tessa. <laughs> right? Well, without disclosing anything, are there any interesting things that uh, Sprink or Norma Snacks are, are looking at that uh, you're working on or maybe just interesting ideas? Um, I don't I don't want you to give away any industry secrets or anything. So anything uh, interesting that you can disclose? Yeah, I can talk about Norma's till we're blue um, because everything about Norma's is, is about transparency mm. of, you know, this, I just want to like blow the doors open on something and be able to talk about it. So that's what Norma's has become. Nice. Um, so essentially, I'm a client of Sprink through Norma's. Norma's is a client of Sprink. We've been able to use Norma's to showcase the, the business model of Sprink, mm -hmm. of starting small, scaling into this facility that we're oh. setting up, and then seeing where we scale from there. Mm -hmm. um, so one thing validates the other, and then I can test thing. You know, I can test Sprink things out on. The Norma's brand and and vice versa. Yeah. So there's some cool things happening there, just with like the ingredients that we're using and pushing the boundaries on transparency. Yeah. Um. For example, when I'm producing Norma's, and so I started with another client of mine that has a manufacturing facility where I was actually helping them through Sprink set up a manufacturing facility, and I was able to work out a deal with them for manufacturing Norma's. Nice. Um, however, they're in Florida. Mm. So when it went to sourcing the ingredients for Norma's, like we use um, Fathead Honey, Farms oh, yeah. Honey. Sure. Um, so we, we want to try to keep things as local as possible, but yeah. full transparency starting out, like we just ordered whatever we could order. Sure. So the, the honey is local and we're trying to get the rest of our ingredients local. And this stemmed from really... Um, I was trying to find the rhubarb to go into it and at a, like a commercial level rhubarb, yeah. not like going out to the garden and picking rhubarb. Um, and the only place I could find it was in Vancouver. Oh, interesting. Okay. And it's frozen and I had to ship it from Vancouver to Florida. Oh my. And so I paid more for shipping than I paid for rhubarb. Yeah. Um, to ship this pallet to Florida to make Norma's. And so I was talking about this and my dad mentioned, he was like, Tessa, rhubarb grows everywhere. And I was like, I know, but we can't like walk through the alleys of Albion and <laughs> pick people's rhubarb. You know, like we don't know what dog went down the alley first. So uh, 
But because of that, we've now planted a rhubarb farm. So we're really trying oh to push the boundaries of like how local can we make this yeah, and how transparent can we make this? Like down the road, my my vision is that you can like scan this, you know, the barcode on Norma's or look up the lot code on Norma's and it'll direct you to your rhubarb came from this farm oh, or cool. your strawberries came from this farm and here's the farmer. Um, we haven't worked that all through yet. I've talked to a few people and they're like, be careful. We don't want people like stalking these farmers. Mm. Um, but I just really want to, you know, like blow the doors off on transparency and using real ingredients and talking about food science as well. Yeah. Um, you know, with everyone or a lot of people focusing on we want to understand the labels, we want clean labels, you know, quote, clean labels. Sure. What does that mean? Yeah. Um, and so I think that there's a lot of confusion around labels and there's a lot of ways that labels can be manipulated so that they seem cleaner than they actually are. And I really want Norma's to spark people to ask questions mm. of here's the ingredients that are in it. If there is something that you don't recognize or you don't understand, like, yes, we have rhubarb, we have strawberries, we have elderberry, we have honey, like you understand what those are. Yeah. Um, but let me tell you about the pectin that we use or why is there sodium citrate in there? Like I can't grow sodium citrate in my garden. <laughs> what right. is it and why is it used? Um, I really want people to ask those questions. And so on our website, um, for Norma's, which is normas.com. Um, we outline all of the ingredients, why they're used, what their purpose is. So it's a bit of a blend of like the wellness side and the nat the natural wellness side from Grandma Norma mm -hmm. and the transparency of that. And then I bring the scientific side yeah. as well. And I want that to be transparent as as well. So I want to I want people to understand what they're consuming and that yes, it is processed because we're taking these raw ingredients and transforming them into a fruit snack, which yeah. is technically a process. Sure. But what's happening during that process and why is citric acid added versus lemon juice or why is sodium citrate added and where's the pectin coming from? Like, I just love to talk about all of those things and kind of explain what our food is. So for, for anybody listening to us, any advice or things maybe that have helped you achieve and be where you are? What might you tell others? I think for something in the sciences or just creativity in general, I had a mentor at the Hershey Company when I was there who is like built my foundation of confectionery science. And one thing that he always told me was make a mess mm. and just try it. I knew that he knew the right answers to these things that I was doing wrong, mm -hmm. but he allowed me to do them and do them incorrectly in case there were a couple instances where maybe I would come up with something that he hadn't thought of through this route of making a mess. So I think for anyone considering like a creative type role yeah. or career or want to creating or just wanting to create something new, just try it. Like try that. the smallest form of something that you can, you know, with the resources that you have, like you don't need to invest a lot in equipment or materials or anything, but just like stir something up in your kitchen, yeah. you know, if it's food related and see what happens. And then from there, you'll go another direction and see what happens. And so I think the biggest piece of advice that was given to me, is like you're often trying to do things right from the beginning and you don't know what you don't know yet. And mm -hmm. so just try something and make a mess and then make sure that you learn from that mess. I love it. I love it. I, I have heard once that uh, you have two choices. You can either succeed or you learn. And True. I, I, but I, I really like your approaches is 
wonderful is go go make a mess. Don't be afraid to make a mess because hopefully you'll have fun doing it, and yeah. then, <laughs> and then hopefully you can, you know, uh, you know, get those pursuits. And and you're right. I think maybe sometimes people can be, and um, myself included, maybe a little bit of a perfectionist, and you want to turn out right this first time, but you got to get through some of those messes to make it perfection later and you're going to have all those lessons and you had mentioned uh, earlier in our talk about how you're able to provide other people guidance because you've been in these situations and you've seen the manufacturing lines and you've seen these things happen and that experience and those things that you've had hands-on and observationally you know help you um, be even better than than when you started and continue to grow so Tessa Porter Thank you so much for being here. So we talked about Norma's. Um, you can find Norma's at normas.com. Mm -hmm. And then what about Sprinker? Where's the best way to keep track of these things if people want to go more to the science aspect or maybe just need a cool, healthy snack? Sure. So there's a few different ways. You can go to sprink.com, which is S-P-R-I-N-K-K. Dot com. Um, whether you're interested in learning more about candy, um, I'm in the process of revamping that website right now, but at least gives you the contact information. If you're a student looking to learn more into food science or go into food science, connect with me on LinkedIn. It's just Tessa Porter. It's kind of a bright picture with candy involved. And so nice. um, I'm also on the board for the Confectionery Foundation, and we're rolling out a program right now all about confectionery careers. Oh, and cool. so if you're interested in confectionery, connect with me there. Follow the Confectionery Foundation as well. Um, and then if you're interested in Normas, you can go to normas.com exactly how it sounds and you can purchase it online there you can see a really cute story of me and my grandmother we made a video so go check that nice. out um, and if you're local in the Omaha area or in Albion we sell product at Albion Thrifty Way and then we sell it at her company yeah as well as Ellsworth Crossing out oh, yeah. west right now Thanks for sharing your story. Truly had a wonderful time. Tessa thank Porter, you, thank you too. so much. Awesome. Well, as we say on Saturday, Omaha, until we eat again, stay hungry and you're maybe going to want some candy. See ya. Bye. Our show is recorded and produced by Saturday, Omaha. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, as well as email Omaha at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and stay hungry. Saturday Omaha. Eat this. <laughs>